Hi, everybody. Mark Middleton and Big Bad Billy Schaefer here. Happy to have you join us because you have tuned into a show pretty much like unlike any other. It's a show that offers up three things that we all need, but none of us seem to get enough of. We're talking about hope, inspiration, and possibility. You are about to experience growing bolder, and it just might change your life. Whether you've been thinking about changing jobs, starting a hobby, taking an adventure vacation, or dealing with an unexpected relationship crisis, financial problems, illness, doesn't make any difference. Over the next hour, you'll get some critical information and invaluable motivation. And in this program, it comes from the form of a doctor who, despite multiple sclerosis, never gave up and created a diet that could save you. Or a World War II veteran, now in his 90s, attempting to be the oldest ever to run from coast to coast. We'll interview the author of the book, The Ultimate Guide to Sex Over 50, to try to help Mark out a little. And we'll meet a woman who finally lived her dream by playing Smash mouth tackle football it's amazing but we're going to start with one of the biggest names in the history of rock amazing people amazing stories it's time for growing bolder Man, as the kids say today, Bill, that is my jam. It doesn't get any better than that, and it never has, has it? Wouldn't it be great as a theme song for Growing Bolder? Oh, wow. I, I yeah. mean, it's really been the theme song for our entire generation. Everybody knows the song, and even after all these years, nobody hates it. In fact, we still love it. Do you realize it was released, folks, back in 1965, a song that is still very much alive, just as is the band that gave it life. It's incredible, isn't it? Moon and Whistle Townsend and D- Daltrey, a foursome that was driven, anxious, and rebellious. Four kids that formed a band and made an incredible contribution to music, culture, and our lives. The Who, as Mark says, 50 years. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could ask Roger Daltrey himself about it? Well, that's exactly what we're lucky enough to do. Nobody knows what it's like to be the bad man behind blue eyes except for this guy. How you doing, Roger? Fine. Yeah, really good. Really good. So 50 years, that is a long time to do anything. Most people after 50 can't wait to retire, but not you guys. Yeah, well, this kind of feels like a long week. <laughs> a long week, but a good one. Tell us where you are right now, Roger. What... I'm, a home in, I'm a home in England. Um, you know, we, we're, we've been recording and um, getting ready to do a, a start our begin, beginning of the Long Goodbye Tour. So... Uh, we're having fun. We're just starting to enjoy it, really enjoy it. Do you have as much fun now as you did in the old days? I'm guessing the, 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 the kind of fun has changed a little bit, but do you, as in, do you enjoy getting out of bed in the morning as much as you used to? I never, ever did enjoy getting out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that doesn't change. Now, at the stage, uh, being on stage and performing the music is as much fun today. In fact, because of the urgency of, of running out of time, it's kind of better in a way. Uh, and I, and, and, but the, it, the schlepping gets hard. The travelling is a lot harder than it used to be, even though we do it in luxury. Uh, and, of course, we can't do as many shows in a week as we used to. I, can, I have to have a day off after singing one show now. Um, but there again, at least I can still hit the notes. And... Uh, I'm just thankful to, to, to still have an audience to play to. It's fantastic. You don't just hit the notes, Roger. I mean, you, you still you still kick butt like few bands do. And I know people ask well, these you. These songs demand you do. I mean, they, they, that's intrinsic to this music. Hey, uh, Pete Town. I think if I ever stop doing that, then I will just say I can't do it anymore. Yeah, I'm sure because that. Because it will just be a pastiche and it will be going through the motions. And I've never, ever wanted to do that. Do you ever look back and think that, man, look at what we've helped do? Because you, your band was a big part of leading our generation through the 60s and the 70s, and you're still changing things now. Because look at it, we're in our 70s, having rock tours, writing new music, being as vibrant. Well, you know, it is music. And we all, you know, when we were starting out, our, our heroes were the blues players from Mississippi and the Delta down there, and they, they were all 50 years old. So it was never an ageist thing, rock and roll. It was only ageist because young people started it, and, it, and it, there, was, there wasn't any kind of 
future, uh, or there wasn't any past to look back on, so you could only go into the future. And now we're here we are, in 50 years into that future, and you suddenly realise that as long as the mu music remains vibrant and up-to-date, um, and we got lucky in the fact that Pete writes in a classical manner, that these songs haven't dated as much as some other songs. Um, so here we are, and it's, it's as vibrant as ever. And the music is, has turned out to be much more important than anybody ever realized at the time. We are talking about my generation with uh, Roger Daltrey. Roger, we heard a little bit of, of that tune coming into it. And, of course, uh, you know, one of the best lines in it is, hope I die before I get old. Uh, ha have you changed that thought now that you are well, 70? Never changed it. I, I mean, you know, people just take it as, the, as what's written. I mean, it was... For me, age is a mental thing. It's, it's always has been. I've met, I've met 16-year-olds <laughs> who have who have come across as old people in just in their mentality. And I, but I've worked with with 80 80-year-old people, and I visit 80-year-old people, you know, all the time, and and find them vibrant and as exciting as any teenager. So, age to me is just a mental condition. And if your if your brain gets old and you and you, you, I don't know whether it's ambition, but if if your dreams start to die, then then that's old. Man, what a great answer, Roger! You know, our show is called Growing Bolder, and that's what we focus on all the time. That this part of your life can you can live it up to the very last drop, the same way you always did. That's yeah. I mean, I you know a lot of my friends at the moment are getting all these kind of illnesses that come with getting older and. And I do a lot of work with teenagers who have who who get cancer, and um, I just say to my friends, you know, I, the, the, those teenagers have taught me so much because they haven't even even had a past, and they're they're facing some of them, you know, are terminal, uh, but they enjoy every second, and you suddenly realise that you've just got to roll with it, and don't be miserable for a moment because they certainly don't feel sorry for themselves. Mm. You know, Roger, as one who has created music that has stood the test of time, you know, whatever that, that, that quality is that makes music something as good today as it was years ago, whose music do you like today? Uh, is there music out there today that you think will, will, will still be as powerful uh, in 50 years as, as your music is? I can't really make a judgment of that. I think there's some really great bands out there now, but there are so many bands. Music is so spread. Uh, I, I can't name anybody in particular. I, I, you know, I think that as, as a genre, it will it will exist, uh, and it's already existed far longer than any of the other kind of hip things before it. You know, when you think back of the big band period, uh, and then the jazz period before that, rock and roll rocks always or rock and rollers. All, you know, already outlived that, and I think it will in the future. I, I still like all the old people I used to like, and when I hear a good band today, I think I can't tell you whether they'll be around in 50 years. I don't. I don't think it matters as long as they're doing good work now. Time will tell. You know, one of the most inspiring parts about your story, Roger, is that you came from a rough background. Nothing was handed to you. You had to fight your and claw your way. To, to get anywhere. Somehow you stumbled onto this Townsend guy and the two of you made magic and not only that, your relationship has been tumultuous but it's been able to survive the time as well as your music has. Yeah, it's, 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 we just got lucky. Um, you know, he, he's an incredible talent. Uh, he's, he's one of the, I think, one of the greatest uh, composers, rock composers of, of, of the uh, 20th century there's no doubt about that um and you know yeah it's a tumultuous <laughs> relationship um but underneath it all we're like brothers i mean there's a deep deep affection and love for each other hey, hey one really interesting thing roger i heard you say about pete is that you and i love this point you said that you can't wait to hear what he'll come up with moving forward because now not We're only already doing it yeah, he's got all the skill as a writer but now he's got the perspective of age well this is it and he's already doing it i mean we've started recording uh, some new tracks that he's written we've got one that we're gonna release um 
on a best of album and uh, give it away for donations to Teen Cancer America, which is our foundation in the States. Um, and it's a number called Be Lucky. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and he's already doing it. And, I, and I've said, I have literally said, in, and it's in print, you know, for the last sort of 35, 40 years, that Pete Townsend is the kind of writer that needs to be this age to write his best work. Mm. It's where his mind is at, and it's where he writes from, the, the perspective that he writes from. It's, not, it's like no other. Well, that is very exciting news for your legion of fans. The best is yet to come. And speaking of your fans, you know, Roger, who shows up at your shows these days? I mean, you're still in the studio. You're still touring. Uh, you know, w- w- very similar to the Stones. We get people of our age. We get people older than us. We get people younger than us. We get their children. We get their grandchildren. And they're all there for the music. And that's all, it, that's all I care about. You know, mu- music is one of the last great freedoms that we all enjoy. It really is a true freedom. Um, I can't imagine a world without it. I really can't. It must be horrendous to live in some of these places where they're, they're trying to ban it. Roger, you've had an incredible seat to view the world through a very tumultuous time. Can you leave us with with a takeaway? What what have you learned that, that you would like to pass along to the rest of us about life? Well, I've learned is the more that you give out, the more you get back. And it's really strange. And I wonder about some of the stuff that's going down in in the world today, um, and it's not political. I'm going to say it's just that I, I I wonder about people that give out evil and 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 terror and all that stuff, even though they might think they've got a cause uh, they're fighting for, they're only going to get that back because I think the more good you try and do, the I think the more good you seem to get back in your life. I don't know. See, that's how it's worked for me. I think, Roger, everybody who's listening would kick me in the rear end if I didn't just say thank you for all the music you've given us, the the, the spirit, the personality, and, and I can't tell you how good it sounds to hear you say that you're going to continue to make music that's meaningful and that touches on where we are in our lives. The tour is called We're Lucky to Be Alive and Still Touring, but in this case, we're the ones who are lucky. What a blast getting to visit with the incomparable Roger Dalton. We'll take you out onto the football field as one woman smashes some stereotypes and a few other women as well. This is Growing Bold. Support for Growing Bolder provided by The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit GrowingBoulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Back on Growing Bolder with Mark and Bill, one thing we learn about life is that there are very few absolutes, but we do have one for you. Never tell a woman that she cannot do something. You see, we met Melinda Sparks. Forty years ago, Mark, someone told her she could not play tackle football because women don't do it, and they probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, it took a while for her to prove them wrong, but folks, she has done it because the itch to play has been in the back of her mind for decades. And let me tell you something about her. She is big, she is strong, and she can hit like a bulldozer. In fact, if you saw Melinda Sparks coming towards you with anger in her eyes, you would run away as fast as you could. She would have made a great football player. And of course, her fear was that she would never get the chance to find out for herself. But as we learn time and time again here on Growing Boulder, it is never too late, even if, like Melinda, you have to wait 40 years. Melinda Sparks was going through a pretty good period in her life. She had a great job at a television station, 
had a loving marriage, but yet something irked her. A nagging feeling in the back of her mind that something was missing and had been ever since she was a kid. Melinda knew exactly what it was. I was 13, I was in high school, and up until then I'd always played football with the guys. She had the itch to once again play football, tackle football. I grew up in southern Ohio where there's always a tackle element to every sport. And she loved it. You know, she loved all sports and played every one of them, but football, that was something special. But when she hit high school, she was sacked, kicked off the team, because, well, back then, young women didn't play football. It was interesting, the football coach wanted me to play. And so when he went to the board to ask, hey, can she play? And they immediately said no. And this is just when Title IX was coming into you know, fruition, and it wasn't quite accepted everywhere, and it was still feeling its way through the school systems. She had no choice but to give it up, and eventually her love of the game took a backseat to life. Many years rolled by, many. Until the most improbable thing happened. Melinda heard about the WFA, a woman's football association that fields 50 teams across the country. It sounded too good to be true. But even after all this time, she could not resist the urge to try. Yeah, I said, if I don't go now, I'll never know. So I went out. I definitely had all the problems of a rookie. I was tripping over the grass. You know, veterans were having a good laugh. But then once I got my feet and everything, they realized that, you know, I was going to play football. One, two, three. To be clear, this is not some watered-down version of football. This is the real deal. It's not the lingerie league. This is real football. Full contact, full pads, full helmet, full speed. There's no gimmick. It's 100% football. And when you hear her describe what it's like, why wouldn't she love it? You've got sand in your mouth. You've got dirt and spots you never thought you'd heard of. You smell bad. Don't anybody tell you we smell great. But it's, 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 it's great. It's great? It's great. Melinda says there's another aspect, one that most don't realize. It is a thinking game. Some people think it's just a physical game. There's the physicality about it. But it's very much a chess game. And when it's executed properly, you know, there's nothing like it. It was a dream fulfilled nearly 40 years after it ended. She even has her very own football card. But there's something else that makes Melinda's story unusual. Take a guess. How old do you think she is? This September, I will be 52, which does make me the oldest player on the team, has been and probably always will be. But I don't think that hinders me. Um... When I get on the field, I'm going to play football. I've been told by some of the other teams that I'm the hardest-hitting person out there. And it's like, I want to be. I, I want to, you know, play hard. I want to play it right. Do you get what that must sound like, though? 52 years old. Imagine if you were in your 20s like some of the other women on the team, and you say, see, Melinda over there, she's 50. She's older than your mom. All of that happens. It's a good giggle when they realize how old I am. I don't announce it, but, you know, when they start whining and carrying on at, you know, 20 and 20, oh, my back, oh, my back, I'll walk up and, yeah, I'll drop the age card and tell them to quit, you know. (laughs) Suck it up, buttercup. And what do they think when you tell them? Oh, I'll admit there's a moment where, you know, I have a good giggle, you know, and they're going, what, what? And like you said, they suddenly do the math and realize, you're older than my mom. Uh, Yeah, I'm probably older than your grandmother, you know, so. Melinda is living her dream, playing hard-hitting, smash-mouth football, a dream lots of people, even her friends, still don't understand. Generally, they give you the, you know, the squinty eye. No, you're joking, right? And I go, no, it's football. And they go, well, why do you play? I say, because I want to play football. Quarterback, take a second look at the hand. Do people get scared when they, oh, here comes Melinda. Oh, she's a football player. Give her room. Give her, no, that happens. Yes, I will admit that happens. <laughs> and it happens for many of the women who take up the sport. Melinda believes they all have something in common, the desire to prove that there are no limits. I think the thread is at one time in their life they were told they couldn't do something. And they don't, and they not let that go. 
And um, when you tell a woman that she can't do something, that's not a good thing. And sometime in the future, you will pay for saying that. And, you know, I think that's what happened with me. You know, somebody at 13 told me I couldn't play football. I said, okay, all right. But I always wanted to play football. And when the chance came around, I took it. You never forgot that. No, no. no. It was always there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and how does it feel now? It feels good. There are times of the 13-year-olds on the field and having a great time. She has defied her age, her gender, and even society, win or lose. Every time she steps onto the gridiron, she's declaring a major victory for following your passion, no matter how long ago your dream begins. What would 13-year-old Melinda say to 52-year-old Melinda? You should have done it sooner. Oh, I bet she'd be awfully proud of you. <laughs> No, she would say, I guess she'd be proud, but she'd say, you should have done it sooner. Boy, we've all got those you should have done it sooners in our life, but at least she did it. And you could actually hear the passion in her voice. When the subject turns to football, she just lights right up. And what you couldn't see is that she wears jersey number 52, and she wears it proudly because 52 is actually her age. I guess next year, Bill, she'll have to get a new jersey. (laughs) She is smashing stereotypes and more than just a few opponents along the way. And as we said earlier, it used to be what women could not do, but not anymore because women can do anything. To learn more about Melinda Sparks and her team, the Orlando Anarchy, check out cfanarchy.com. So what does it take to actually start growing bolder? Well, for almost everyone, it starts with doing what you have to to improve your health. Whether it's disease or diet, illness or injury, you have to stand up and take charge of your own situation. Boy, we all make excuses, whether it's bad knees or bad back. But Dr. Robert Masson says they all can be overcome. And he's one of the leading neurospine surgeons in the world. Here is Dr. Masson with today's Road to Recovery Minute. I've been blessed to see people with catastrophic injury and temporary disability maximize their life, maximize their recovery to the point where even if they had a functional limitation, like they were paralyzed at their waist, they relearned how to uh, drive race cars. They've learned how to ski on on, on specially designed apparatus. They've learned how to ride horses and, and, and scuba dive and do things. And, you know, I think the, the take home message is A functional disability doesn't have to alter the quality of your life. And when I was young, it was all about being maximally capable. You know, there are so many people that live completely full lives with major functional injuries, but they don't let it slow them down. And and that forces me to push my bar to another level because I've got to make sure that what I'm doing gives these people the best chance they can to achieve those goals. Up next, think at this age you pretty much know all there is to know? Well, we'll consult the author of The Ultimate Guide to Sex After 50. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. I'm Bill Shaver with Mark Middleton here on Growing Boulder. We're going to talk about something now that, well, you know, people really don't like talking about it, but it's sort of like a car wreck. We really can't seem to look away either. Mark, did you know, of course you knew, that people <laughs> over 50 are are still very active and still very interested in this magical thing called sex. Not only did I know it, Bill, I actually like to talk about it, but you're right. Unfortunately, it is one of the best-kept secrets out there. Uh, fortunately, though, now there are people willing to talk about it. And it is great news for everybody, no matter what their age, that people over 50, 60, and 70 still have 
active sex lives. And you're right, there are people that don't want to hear that. And because of that, there's a whole lot of misinformation out there. Uh, And a lot of people have questions, they have concerns, they're afraid to voice. We have an expert, folks, who is standing tall to help. She's a journalist, an author, a public speaker, whose latest book is The Ultimate Guide to Sex Over 50. Let's see what we can learn from Joan Price. Hey, Joan, how are you? Hi. I'm not standing too tall because I'm only 4'10". 4'10". talking as loud as I can. Well, you know, size doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> That's what they <laughs> That's say. That's what I keep telling people. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm all ears when you talk about the guide to sex over 50, but when it's the ultimate guide, you know, then I really want to know. What's it like to be the go-to person for questions about sex later in life? Oh, my gosh. It's so much fun being me. <laughs> it is. I mean, it, I get to talk about sex all day. And I get to help people. I get to provide them with information that is going to enrich their sex lives or help them start it up again if it's gone away. What could be better than that? Uh, I I just love my life. But just like the butcher who doesn't want anything to do with hamburger when he gets home, do you get tired of this topic? (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I thought you were going to ask, but um, no, never. I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not one topic, not one conversation. It's, there's so many things that go into what constitutes sex and what makes sex better or what hurts. I guess, Joan, what I meant, though, by the 50s, shouldn't we know better than we do? Aren't we naive and immature and, and, and we, we act like little kids when it comes to that? Um, I call that an immature question, but actually what I'll say (laughs) is that um, our bodies change, so our attitudes have to change, and sometimes our our activities have to change. We're not in the same body that we were when we discovered our sex drives at, at 14 or 17. We're in at at 70, at 60, we're our we're in different bodies, they respond differently. They hurt sometimes when we get into what used to be our favorite position. We find arousal slower and not sure what to do to speed it up. It's it's a whole different world we're living in. And I'm so happy that we're starting to ask questions about it and talk out loud about it and acknowledge that we don't need to retire our genitals at any age. <laughs> you know what? And, and it, it's so great to hear. You know, we... we we, we search for ordinary people living extraordinary lives, which really shouldn't be extraordinary. We should all be living those. But, you know, we always talk often, Joan, about when we were younger. You know, we didn't have the kind of role models that we do today, and, and, and sex is one of them. You know, none of us wanted to think about our parents having sex, and I think a lot of us grew up thinking that beyond 50, 60, 70, 80, there really was no sex. I love when I hear someone in their 70s and 80s talking about a, a very satisfying sexual relationship. That's good for us, isn't it? Oh, yes. It is so good for us. It's not only good for our uh, for us sexually. It's good for us medically. It's good for us emotionally. It's good for us relationship-wise. There, there is no reason to give sex up. It just may mean you need new strategies to make it look a little different than it was, but be equally satisfying. So, Joan, is there a new normal then for uh, a, a sex at certain ages? I don't think there's ever been anything normal about sex. Do you? Well, you must know Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Not as well as I'd like to. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we all, I think a big part of sex is, is wondering if we're meeting expectation. And that's that's sometimes a little a monster in the bedroom that will hurt us. If instead of that, we, we just get to the basics. What brings me pleasure? If I'm in a relationship, what gives my partner pleasure? Let's communicate about it. Let's try different things. Let's laugh a lot. Let's do some of the things that we know we're learning will enhance our sexual response, such as um, if you get an, a half hour of exercise, before having sexual activity, the blood flow is already going faster, and we will be aroused more easily and have better orgasms. Now, isn't that something that's good to know? That's great to know. So, yeah. so, 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 is there? Does sex drive diminish? I mean, I know both men and women go through hormonal changes as we get older. Uh, is it a different kind of sex drive, or does it stay the same? I mean, uh, I mean, we hear all the time of people that are in their eighties that are that are still 
having a, an active sex life? Well, that you just asked one of the most important questions. Thank you for that. Yes, our sex drive changes because we're not impelled, propelled by the sex hormones. We don't have the estrogen and the and the testosterone running through us saying, got to have sex, come on, <clears throat> let's do it, let's have sex. If you don't have a partner now, let's go out and find one. We don't have that biological imperative because we are not driven to reproduce at this time of our, of our lives. But that doesn't, that's not the only reason to have sex. It never was. We want to have sex for other reasons, and what drives us might not be a hormonal rush, but it still can be a sense of pleasure, a, a desire for intimacy with a partner, or if we're not lucky enough to have a partner at this time of our lives, knowing that we can pleasure ourselves and it can be very exciting, arousing, and afterwards we feel better. We're, uh, there's a, a lighter, we have a, a lighter bounce in our step and a glow on our cheeks and we even fall asleep more easily. Well, I, I don't know if, you, if you've read this statistic, but I, I, I may not have the number exact, but it was something like 75% of married women over the age of 50 are bisexual. You mention sex and they say bye. <laughs> uh, first of all, I don't know where you got that statistic, but I'll say, nah. Many women and many men find that at, when they're in a long-term relationship that they are not as excited by their partner as they were starting out. Well, lots of reasons for that. We can work on that, though. We can work on preserving the intimacy and keeping sex vibrant by trying new things, not settling into a rut of, well, we've always done it this way for 40 years, so we'll keep doing it this way. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it is broke, so let's fix it. You know, it is a fascinating topic, and Joan, we got to get you back on because, uh, you know, what's more fun to talk about than sex? And especially with someone that, uh, you know, I so many questions I'd like to ask. Uh, uh, we'll just have to get to it at a later time. But, folks, it's the, the book is The Ultimate Guide to Sex Over 50. It is a, uh, a joy to read, and it is written by a very delightful author whose name is Joan Price, and you can find out more about her and her book at joanprice.com. Joan, thanks so much. Next, a 91-year-old determined to run clear across the country. He's out there somewhere, and we're going to track him down to see just how he's doing. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer. And as our regular listeners know, we have some pretty big, big-time celebrities on this show. But how do you get any bigger than this next guy? He is a World War II veteran. He's 91 years old, and he wants to become the oldest person ever to run all the way across the country. You mean walk? No, no, to run coast to coast. 91? 91. He's going to run across the country? He's doing it. You know what? He's well on his way even as we speak. So you're probably figuring the guy wants to prove what someone his age can do. Maybe he wants to get his name in the record books. But no, there's a lot more to it than that. And his true motivation is very interesting. So while he has a moment, let's say hi to Ernie Andrus. How are you, Ernie? I am just fine. Man, how far have you run so far, and where are you now? Well, right now I have uh, ran a total of 136 legs, which is 820.58 miles. I started from uh, San Diego, Mission Beach. I am now at uh, Socorro, New Mexico. 
What an amazing adventure you're on. Uh, and, and in and of itself, just trying to do this would be cool. But Bill said you've got a pretty unusual reason for doing it. Tell us about why you're running and how you're trying to save an important piece of history. Well, I, actually, I decided to do this. I was running some 200-mile relays, and uh, I found that people my age just weren't doing all this running. So I decided I wanted to do this, run this coast-to-coast. And uh, it we in well a few years ago, a bunch of us guys brought an old ship, World War II ship from Greece to the United States. We were on the History Channel, Return of LST three twenty five, and I thought, well, maybe this would be a good chance to raise some money to take that ship back to Normandy uh, for a memorial service. Uh, they, this ship was at. Uh, Normandy Beach on D-Day, Omaha Beach, and uh, we were hoping to take it this year, but we didn't have enough money, so I thought, well, maybe I can raise enough money to take it at D-Day plus 75. Ernie, you're you're 91 years old, right? Right. I just turned 91 last month. Didn't somebody's son or grandson or something say, oh, you don't have to do that. We'll try to help raise the money for you. Oh, some people think I'm crazy for trying it, but most people are encouraging me. You know, it's this kind of spirit, Bill, that saved the world, it these is. World War II veterans. Tell us just a little bit more about this LST-35. Uh, a lot of us don't really fully understand its impact, but both Eisenhower and Churchill said it is the ship that won the war. What made the LST so important? What did it do? Well, the LST is, is what put the big equipment on the beaches. Uh, and they also, because of Dunkirk, when they uh, couldn't evacuate and they had to leave everything behind, Churchill thought they, uh, this type of a ship was necessary uh, before this could happen. Before this happened again, and he came over and talked to Roosevelt and asked if we could build one. And so they started manufacturing them. They built one thousand and fifty-one of them during World War II. And uh, the really important thing is that they could get to onto the beach. They are seaworthy. They can cross over the ocean and back. They can go up onto the beach, unload, get off the beach, take anything off the beach that they need. And uh, it was just something that was vitally necessary in order to win the war. You know, Ernie, you are what all of us hope we can be. You're in your 90s, and you're thinking of the future. You're trying to help preserve something for later generations. You're in shape. You're out making a difference and running. What is your secret, Ernie? How have you done this? Oh, just uh, I just always looking for a new adventure, and this was another one. <laughs> Looking for a new adventure at 91 years old, so he is running across the country to restore, to save, and to return to Normandy Beach, an important part of our history. This is what Ernie Andrews is doing uh, in his 90s. Uh, Ernie, when do you hope to finish this run? How uh, how often do you get out there? And, and I saw you on YouTube. There's a video of this guy on YouTube, and, and you are out there doing your thing. How much longer is it going to take to finish? I think another two years. Uh, I am hoping uh, to uh, get to the Atlantic Ocean by my uh, 93rd birthday, which would be August 19th of uh, 2016. Uh, I probably won't make it quite by then, but if I don't, I hope to make it before the end of the month. How do you do it, Ernie? How far do you run at a time? And, and, and do you, are you like a superman, or are you just a regular guy who just won't quit? No, I'm not a particularly good runner. I run pretty slow. A lot of people think I'm walking, but I run every step of the way as fast as I can. Most of my sport team can walk and stay with me because I do run awful slow. Uh, the older I get, the slower I go. Uh, my veins are so bad that the doctors have told me uh, I'm a candidate for anything. They know what to do. But they tell me don't do anything because what I'm doing is better than anything they can do. Wow. So I just keep running. You got to keep moving. Uh, who's on your support team? How big is your support team? Are you married? Well, uh, sometimes I run alone. Uh, the most I've ever had was I had 14 sailors run with me off of the uh, USS Pearl Harbor. Uh, that's the biggest team so far. 
Uh, I don't know what it'll be tomorrow morning. The way it's been raining here, they some of them may chicken out. But uh, I have a police support tomorrow. I mean, it'll be a police uh, escort tomorrow going into Socorro, New Mexico. And I hope I have a few on the team tomorrow. Hey, Ernie, in the final 20 seconds here, man, we are losing World War II veterans every day. You, you, you are, uh, you know, one of a kind. What's it, what's it feel to you? What's it mean to you to know that uh, all of these guys that you went to war with are, are, are dying? Well, I mean, it's sort of sad to see that all my shipmates are disappearing, but uh, the thing that really makes me sad is when I look back at the war, how many of them didn't make it back at all. Well, you know what, Ernie? If they could have chosen somebody to carry the torch, you are as good as anybody. Listen to this guy, what he's doing, Ernie Andrus. If you'd like to help him in his effort to save the last LST ships, check out his website, coast2coastruns.com. Our respect and our admiration go out to you, Ernie. Keep up the good work. You've done an amazing job, and you sure have made us proud of our country and of you, the great Ernie Andrus. Up next, there's no cure for multiple sclerosis, but there has been one miraculous turnaround. How what this doctor did could help you. This is Growing Bolder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. You're listening to Growing Boulder Radio. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. And today's surviving and thriving interview with the right support and right attitude, it's possible to not just survive life's greatest challenges, but to thrive. And our next guest truly has an incredible story. It's the kind that makes you wonder, do we all have more control over our health than we think? What happened to her is nothing short of stunning, and she has a definite message that she's determined to pay forward. Yeah, she'll fill in the blanks for us, Bill, but here's kind of what happens, folks. About 15 years ago, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, a devastating disease that took hold of this mountain climber and marathon runner, left her bedridden. Nine months later, though, she had recovered, seemed like a miracle. She says, no, it wasn't. Her medicine was her diet, something that can help us all. And now she's written a book about that that is shot through the MS community like lightning. It's called The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles and Functional Medicine. She is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa Carver College. Let's find out more as we chat with Dr. Terry Walls. Hey, Doc, how are you? Wonderful. So so glad you're having me today. We are as well, but i got to be honest with you. We always hit pause before we do interviews like this because, you know, Bill and I want to be conscientious. There are so many people out there talking about so many different things. There are over 2 million people suffering with MS right now. We worry about passing along false hope. This is more than that, correct? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've helped thousands of people. I have thousands and thousands of followers uh, and it's very exciting to hear the uh, stories coming in. Plus, I do clinical research testing this protocol. So get get right to it, Doc. Tell us your story. You were you were so bad, you were actually bedridden, and, and there's well, no, no cure for MS, is there? So uh, I had relapsing remitting MS in 2000. Uh, went to the best people I could find, which is the Cleveland Clinic. Saw their best people, took the newest drugs. Uh, within three years, I had transitioned to secondary progressive uh, at that point, there's no more spontaneous remission. I took chemotherapy. I got the tilt recline wheelchair, and I got progressively more and more disabled. By 2007, I could not sit in a regular chair. I had to be in a recliner or in bed. I could walk short distances using uh, two canes, and uh, I knew I, I would soon have to stop working. Uh, and that's when I used uh, uh, a intensive dietary lifestyle program that I designed based on review of the science. Within three months, my fatigue was gone. Within six months, I was walking again throughout the hospital without a cane. 
uh, and within 12 months, I was able to do a 20-mile bike ride with my family. You know, that is incredible. incredible. And I'll probably get the quote wrong, but I think it was Hippocrates who said, you know, many, many years ago, let medicine be thy food and let food be thy medicine. It's not a new concept. Uh, You know, I think the disagreement is what do we eat in order to cure ourselves? What did you eat? What did you learn? How did diet help cure you? So uh, in 2002, my doctors introduced me to uh, the paleo diet. Uh, So after 20 years being a vegetarian, I I went to a uh, paleo diet, eliminating grain, dairy, legumes but still declined. Uh, In 2007, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine, took their courses, learned more about what were the vitamins, minerals, essential fats that brain cells needed to thrive. And so I redesigned my diet uh, to maximize the intake of those nutrients. Uh, And when I did that, uh, that's when the magic happened. Uh, And as I said, uh, fatigue went away, uh, walking uh, became much easier, uh, stamina improved, and I, was, and I was able to get back to biking after you know seven years of steady, relentless decline before that. Now, Dr. Walls, now you'd be a millionaire if you were about to tell us that you did it by like eating chocolate or something. But the key thing that it's the one thing that makes people step away, but it may be the magic, the secret, and and you say that that is organ meat. Well, I think uh, organ meat is certainly part of it. Um, I talk about greens, sulfur-rich vegetables, deeply colored uh, vegetables, uh, grass-fed meat, organ meat, and seaweed, uh, because they're all really superfoods, really, really good for us. When we hear superfoods, it's almost always plants, though. Well, uh, there are some uh, plants that are superfoods, but uh, the organ meats, particularly liver, is also incredibly nutrient-dense and good for us as well. Folks, we're talking with Dr. Terry Walls, who has written a fascinating new book about the Walls Protocol, something that she says cured her of progressive uh, MS. And, you know, I think we all get that diet is, is important. You know, that has been, you know, pounded into us time and time again. Our problem, Dr. Walls, is that we have some people telling us we have to eat vegetarian diets. We have others telling us we have to eat this. What are those of us who are just trying to, you know, to lean on the experts like yourself to do when we hear conflicting uh, advice on what we should eat? What I've done is I've used the science to tell me the 31 key vitamins, minerals, nutrients that science says brain cells need. Then I created a diet to maximize the intake of those nutrients. I uh, tested with uh, menus, uh, research quality analysis to confirm my dietary plan provides those things. Dramatic results for me. We have uh, clinical research going on with very exciting results that are now published in the literature. Um, and I have uh, many, many followers, uh, I have people in my clinics, and I challenge folks, you know, check with your doc, uh, be sure this is going to be okay, then give it uh, 90 days and see what happens. Do your own experiment. And, and uh, in my clinic, um, people you know, take that challenge and they do extraordinarily well. And maybe we do a disservice, too, if we make this story just about MS, because yeah. you, you've gotten reaction, too, from from other ailments as well. Correct. It's, it's excellent for inflammatory bowel disease, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, essentially all autoimmune conditions. It really helps quiet the inflammation. It's been terrific for type 2 diabetes to get uh, blood sugars uh, under control, lose weight without being hungry. I've had people lose 100 pounds, 200 pounds without being hungry, and keep that weight off for years. You know, you said something that piqued my interest. We only have about a minute left. You said functional medicine. What is that? Uh, it's a new way of uh, thinking about uh, disease, uh, and we look at the environmental factors that contribute to disease uh, and help people address the root cause of illnesses, which often is nutrient deficiencies, toxins, uh, altered microbiome. Uh, it's a very exciting, very uh, dynamic, cutting-edge way of uh, hand- handling medicine. Well, Doc, I, I sure hope that your profile continues to rise because unlike just an author who's written a book, I mean, you've been through it. You've looked down the belly of the beast, so to speak, and you've come back uh, to tell us the tale. And I'm, and I'm still doing the clinical research uh, to uh, understand the scientific underpinnings of why this is so effective. You you can understand, folks, why there is such great interest in her ideas and her recommendations. You need to check out the book, and you can learn a whole lot more at terrywalls.com. Very, very interesting how diet can totally change your life. (laughs) 
And if you haven't already, check out Growing Boulder TV on public television stations around the country. And we invite you to subscribe to our one-of-a-kind Growing Boulder magazine, packed with inspiring stories, tips, tools, everything you need to help make the rest of your life the best of your life. Yeah, you know what? It's also the perfect gift for anyone you know who needs a little inspiration to get off the couch and get into life. Just go to growingbolder.com slash subscribe, where you can also sign up for our free newsletter. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook as well. Folks, we will see you next time right here. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder's studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, flowing high and mighty trapped. Countless fire and flaming rope, using ideas as my map. We'll meet on edges soon, said I. Oh